Where the Whiteboards Are, a podcast by educators about all things education. Welcome to another episode of Where the Whiteboards Are. On this episode, we have two guests with us. They have both taught with all of us. They are ag teachers. Um, and that not everybody knows what ag teachers do or what agriculture cl- classes are or what FFA is. Um, <laughs> so we're going to be able to pick their brain on a lot of different subjects. We are going to have you introduce yourself as much information about yourself as you want. First name, last name, if you want to give it. An alias is fine too. <laughs> you don't have to tell me what school you're at. Russell Russell Shackelford. <laughs> <laughs> Lorenzo von Matterhorn. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Matterhorn. Darren Sage doll. Darren Sage doll. <laughs> I've got trauma still from that. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> go go ahead. By okay. all means. I'm Jared Brown, been in the business for 16 years. Um been at four different schools. I finally made it to my hometown. Enjoy it. Uh, there's definitely challenges, but mostly, uh, you know, I get along with the kids and I think it's, it, that's the best part of the job is making those good relationships and, you know, working with adults is somewhat difficult some days because <laughs> I, I don't know how to, how to put that gracefully, but, uh, you know, it's a great job. It's, you know, I tell kids, I was like, you know, you, you could be a teacher. I was like, the air conditioning when it's hot and heat when it's cold. So, uh, <laughs> what more is there? What more sometimes, is there? sometimes, yeah, sometimes, yeah. I'm Joey Stokes. I am uh, in my 14th year now, and uh, I'm at the Dallas County Technical Center now in Buffalo, Missouri, home of the Bison Pride. Um, I don't have a lot to add, like Mr. Brown did there. All right, fair enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, I guess I'm, no. I'm full of stuff, I, you know. Set the bar the relationships are important for me too. Yeah. <laughs> Ditto. Here, Just here. not enough to talk Just, about. Yeah. Uh, I, I could take or leave them at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So tell me what what do you do with your job? Not everybody knows what ag we, education is. We don't is. know what we do oh, either. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to say that truly before coming to the school where we all taught together, I didn't know what agricultural education right. was. Like yeah. there's not an option where I was. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. I thought cows just made milk all the time. Well, we're too, con- <laughs> uh, we're yes. too conservative where we live to have sex ed. Mm. So they have this to have animal <laughs> reproduction. That's, that's where ag education comes into place. <laughs> You know, that uh, makes a lot of sense yeah, now. I get it well, now. It's filling in a lot sense. of blanks yeah. for me. Because seriously, I mean, I'm sure Mr. Brown covers that more in Ag 1 than I do. But uh, yeah, yeah, those kids come in and they're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I had, so, some, I had some great videos a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, I'm sure glad this is in a video. Because if I was up here saying penis five times, and it, it might be a little... Uh, a little uncomfortable, <laughs> uh, but when you put it in a video, you're like, "All right, kids, see that that that's how it works." Okay, uh, everybody ready for the quiz? <laughs> I just say it. I just penis, yeah. penis, penis, vagina, vagina, vagina. Yeah, we're, we're right, right in. Uh, it's like okay, we all uh, passed it. There you go. Varsity blues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's basically the same. Well, thing. you can watch Kindergarten Cop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> educational right there yeah is that so, Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah yeah the does that thoroughly answer your question <laughs> <laughs> so in ag 
We what just talk do? about penis and vagina. That's <laughs> what I'm here. Pretty much. So, well, yeah. it, it, that, that is, you know, I, I teach reproduction in, in my advanced livestock class. And, you know, I tell them, I was like, we won't be in business unless this happens. Uh, you know, for yeah. beef, beef cattle, that cow has to have a calf because that's the product that you're going to sell. With dairy, the cow has to have a calf for to produce milk. And, uh, you know, that goes the same with a lot of your livestock. They have to reproduce. and and so, you know, I, I kind of wait till advanced livestock to kind of really get in depth yeah. um, with it just because they're a little bit more mature and, and stuff. But yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. It's, so uh, this it, is where we went with what heck education yeah. is. <laughs> so in advanced livestock, do you show the same video, but you just slow it down? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. You, you got to talk Sorry. about setting the mood and yeah, setting yeah. the stage yeah. a little bit more. The lights get the turned cow, off. The, the cow it, mood. It was a whole lot more detailed because, and this, this is where I'm guilty of maybe not being prepared for class. Uh, I, I just turned it on without watching it beforehand. <laughs> Bold, bold like, move. Wow, All right. Man. Do you see that fella right there? He's he's helping the process out and and um yeah. And so it was very detailed. And I'm like, you know, kids, uh, they do this right over there in Stratford, you know, collecting semen from bulls and stuff, and yeah, you gotta get right in there. And and uh I tried to spin it, you know, I was like, hey, there's jobs out there where you can yeah. Hand, handle Jack everything right the there. Yeah. Can't be afraid to get your hands dirty. That's right. Did you ever consider just playing Austin Powers instead? Uh, I, I, I heard that works. Uh, I heard that works real good in English class. Yeah. I don't know. And, Animal House is what I normally oh, use. Oh, yeah. It's got yeah. like reproduction yeah. built into that. Oh. Yeah. So, well, at the end of the day, so to, to try to circle back here just a little bit. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we, we do more than just talk about all of the parts of the uh, the body and whatnot. Oh, um, but uh, everybody eats right three times a day. Hopefully you got to have food. So they say you need a doctor every now and again, and you might need a, a carpenter to build a house for you once in your life. But you need a, a farmer three times a day. So it's this intimate relationship that we have um, with our food every every day, three times a day. Um, but we don't really understand a lot of times how that food gets from the farm to the plate and how much goes into that. Um, so, so at the end of the day, that's what agriculture education really is all about is where does our food come from and why does it matter? And um, there's so, so much that goes into that process and there's so much that's misunderstood about it. Uh, Wait, it, it doesn't just come from the cooler in the supermarket. It, it, and even in, in small towns, we've got it a lot better than, than what I think you would if you went into a city Springfield, even in taught, um, as far as kids understanding that, but there's still so much that yeah. that kids don't know, that parents don't know, um, and, and just how quickly. I mean, our world has changed so quickly in a hundred years, but um, people used to, if they didn't live on a farm, they knew somebody that lived on a farm and yeah. they saw the farm. Um, but today, uh, I think the average person is at least four generations removed from somebody who is is producing their food. Mm. Um, and, and we've gotten so good at producing food, so efficient at producing food in our country that, um, you know, it used to be that 70, 80% of our population was working somehow in the agriculture industry or in yeah. food production. And today it's less than 2% of our population that yeah. is directly involved in putting food on the plates for everybody else, which is awesome because 
it lets you do so many other things. You know, we have all these other careers that are possible because people aren't worried about where their food comes from. But um, at the end of the day, that makes it difficult for the people who are putting food on people's plates because there's a lot that people don't understand about what they're doing. So whenever they see that a cow's getting artificially inseminated because she has to to do her job, um, you hear rape racks or, you know, everything else that gets connected to that. Right. That, um, is misunderstood and it's hard to understand um it's it's hard to to let people know like on my farm i raise beef and i raise a uh, pork i have pigs and um it, it's hard for people to understand that um i tell people i want that pig to have one bad day in their life yeah. and uh and that's uh that's difficult for people to wrap their heads around sometimes that you can care so much about those animals and want them to have the best life they possibly can but at the end of the day you know that you're still going to put bacon and pork chops on somebody's plate. For the listener, like one thing that really connects that to me personally is you had my family over for dinner and we had pork and your daughter, like you all had the conversation about which pig this was. And it was to honor, like it was, it was out of honor. It wasn't like some weird dark conversation, but it was like that, that was the pig. Um, and it was, it was a really nice thing. Um, and I'm not, I don't feel like I'm doing respect for how you guys set that up with your own family, but it really made an impression on me. And, and that's something that I see with a lot of, I mean, a lot of other farm families, even um, there's this whole, we've got to keep everything in the shadows. And I think that's, what's gotten agriculture to the place of where it is today of why, why there is distrust amongst consumers with, with farmers. Um, is that we've kept everything in the shadows. We've tried to keep things a secrets. And like with our own kids, we're like, oh, this isn't, that's a, that pig just went on to, to live in the retirement pig community. <laughs> I've never tried to, I don't know. I talk to my daughter like she's an adult as much as I yeah. can. And I yes. try to be honest with her about everything in the process. And I don't know, that seems to be what's worked for our own family. And, and I, I just, I feel like it's the right way of doing things. Yeah. Well, and, to kind of tie in with that, I mean, I, I tell our kids, you know, when I'm teaching dairy production or beef production or any livestock, I, I tell them, I was like, the farmer has to do a exceptional job of making that animal happy and comfortable. You know, like California used to have that slogan, happy cows live in California. I'm like, happy cows have to live everywhere or that <laughs> farmer is not happy because they're not profitable. I mean, if your cows are out there struggling with the heat or extreme cold, um, you're not providing the, the, the nutrition for them to do what you need them to do. They're not going to do what you ask them to do, or they're going to do a poor job at that. And then at the end of the day, that's money out of your pocket. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I milked cows for 11 years and my biggest problem that I had on my dairy was, was cow comfort, um, being able to provide them with the, you know, just basic things to get in and out of the heat. If it's 112 outside, my cows still had to go outside. And you think, well, shouldn't a cow be happy outside? Well, not when it's 112. <laughs> um, no, I know we don't have too many of those days here in Missouri, but uh, we did. And, you know, that, that same year I had a day, it was negative 12 and I had a cow, had a, had a calf and oof, instantly I started forming on the outside of the calf. And so oh, you do no. your best, you know, I grabbed the calf and took it inside, put it in front of the heat and, you know, you're trying to do your best, but, you know, animals have to be happy or they have to be comfortable to to do the jobs that you're asking them to do so most of our farmers do a very good job at that especially the ones that are very profitable their biggest thing is their cows are happy doing what they're doing i mean i stood in a in a farm up in wisconsin that had forty thousand cows under one roof 
Ooh. And you think, well, that, that looks like a factory, right? And I'm like, those cows were the happiest cows I'd ever seen. Hmm. Uh, they all had individual beds, all bed. I mean, it was, everything was super clean, but inside that barn, it was pretty much an air conditioned barn. They were drawing air. There was no flies. Um, it was really neat to see that. Hmm. It was also kind of depressing for me because at the time I was milking a hundred and 150 cows and I'm standing there in that barn and they're milking 160 cows every six minutes. Oh my God. And I'm like, it takes me three hours to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I can compete with these, these fellas up here. So, Uh, but yeah, trying to get that to educate our kids to be educated consumers. There's lots of uh, information out there to kind of drive them away. You know, the new thing is plant-based and, uh, you know, I have nothing, you know, I, I tell kids, I was like, you, we live in America. You can choose to do, you know, eat whatever you want, but just educate yourself on that. And with plant-based burgers, you know, like the, the impossible Whopper and stuff like that, you know, they look at that and say, well, that's, it's plant-based. It's gotta be healthier. And I'm like, well, it may be in some ways, in some ways it's not, um, still a burger, but it's still, still made out of the same products it was back in the eighties when we called it soy burger. Mm-hmm. We just changed the name and, and I don't know, I think kids, I was like, you need to educate yourself what plant-based is. Cause I was like, what if I was the cigarette company and cigarettes have a bad name, but if I called it plant-based vapes, would that make it better? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe that's a too extreme comparison, but uh, I was like, I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not going to argue with you. You know, everybody has the right to, to, to make their choices, but I was like, I just want you to be educated on that. Yeah. You know, uh, agriculture, you said agriculture kept a lot of things in the shadows. Uh, and with uh, social media, we've kind of brought those things out. You know, we have a product called Pink Slime, or it used to be called Pink Slime. And that was a big news thing mm-hmm. a few years ago. It's a necessary product with a bad name. And so you, <laughs> they really, they got bad rid of it. Team. And then they realized, we really have to have this product. And I'm like, well, why don't you just rename it? And I think that's what they did. So fuchsia oh, slime. <laughs> what is pink slime? It's it's used in like um as a binder for uh, some of our meat products. Oh, okay. It, it's still nuggets. meat um for a beef or for a beef packing plant in order for them to be profitable to make to make things to where you can afford to buy them. Every part of the cow needs to be used in some sort of way. Yeah. And that's part of it. I don't know exactly all the details of what pink, maybe you do, but I, I, yeah, I just, you're, I, you've hit about everything I know about pink slime. Yeah. There. <laughs> there were, there were some videos that came name. out yeah. and it was like, it looked like pink slime and yeah. it's, you know, it was uh, the you know, Teletubby. It was a Teletubby. I, why I know this, I don't know. I don't remember it's that. It's useless, keeper useless of knowledge. knowledge. <laughs> but what happened was, if you remember the t- television show Teletubbies, they had a scene, I don't know what episode, and I don't know like where this plays in, where it was like a machine that was oozing out this pink slime. Well, they used that image, that little video clip, and put it with McDonald's and other restaurants to say, this is what your hamburger is, this is what your chicken nugget is. And, and so then that's why pink slime got the rep that it did, because it was just this oozy literally slime that was just in a factory and they said this is what you're eating and it was very um, so was the video on teletubbies like the pink slime that we're referencing um so it wasn't 
I mean, yes, in terms of like, it was a video of a machine making pink slime, Okay, but it wasn't being shown in the Teletubbies as a meat production. Uh, yeah, It weird. was just a little like clip. <laughs> That's still just, um, there's a lot of weirdness there. Yeah, I think, I think the, the main <laughs> issue was that it was being like put out there that it wasn't a real. Correct. Yeah, well, it, you it know, was, it's it the was same thing with everything. It. It's, yeah. well, this isn't natural. This isn't. Mm-hmm. That's the big buzzword that it all boils back to at the end of the day. This is so man-made or synthetic mm-hmm. or fake. But at the end of the, I mean, nothing we eat is natural. <laughs> nothing. Yeah, and right. that's that's the probably the biggest thing I try to drive home to kids at the end of the day is if you tried to eat what is actually natural, if you've seen a banana before it was modified by humans, if you've seen teosinte before humans bred that and turned it into corn, broccoli didn't exist. Kale didn't exist. I mean, nothing that we eat today existed in the form that it's in. And I really like to show kids um, to show just how quickly we can do this through nothing other than selective breeding. Um, Show them a champion pig 100 years ago in like 1920. Go to a state fair and look up pictures of the champion hog. And it is the most fat, gigantic pig that you could ever imagine. Um, And then if you go to uh, 20 years ago to what we wanted the champion pig to look like in 2000, it is the most anorexic Scrawny, sorry, that's probably a <laughs> not 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 a PC word there, but it's the most thin, scrawny, um, lean is the word they wanted. Lean, lean yeah. hogs, and um, the reason that they did that was it was consumer driven at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But we heard fat and food is bad, right? So we took all of the fat off the pig and we made this lean hog. Well, then people started eating lean pigs, and they're like, these don't taste very good. <laughs> <laughs> so so now we've got a pig that's. Very much different from both of those two extremes. It's kind of this moderate, muscular, um, uh, medium degree of conditioning on them. Um, but we've done that in 20 years. We've changed from this extreme lean pig to what we have now. And that's just, that's how quickly selective breeding changes. And that's, you know, in livestock, that's easy to think about. But if you don't think that we're breeding plants the same way that we're breeding livestock, we absolutely are, uh, probably on an even faster scale. Um, so nothing that you eat is natural at all. And that word drives me nuts whenever I see it in the grocery <laughs> store. Or, or I guess my other question is what about non-GMO? Because uh, that's a big buzz thing in grocery stores and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. And obviously that doesn't exist. GMO, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. So everything's been modified. Mm-hmm. And what's the difference? I mean, you're still changing the DNA, whether you're doing it by selective breeding or whether you're doing it with CRISPR technology or whatever it is at the end of the day. Yeah. So that's, that's getting at the same thing. Um, I don't think there's anything scientific that says that, that one is less healthy than, than another. I mean, there's plenty of, <laughs> of non-scientific things just like there is in, in everything today. Whether but we're I did my about, research yeah, on Facebook. <laughs> whether we're talking about COVID vaccines or whatever it is. I read the picture. The, the argument that the non-GMO crowd has is there's not been enough years of research to show us that are there long-term that, effects that BS. of GMO products and uh and maybe there will be at some point and so that's that's their foothold on the on the argument of non-gmo well we just don't know well yeah it's only been around for you know well i mean yeah the 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 gmo stuff that we're kind of looking at you know like the roundup ready stuff the Mm. the bt corn and you know there's other ones i can't even think of all of them but Really, when you look at the amount of crops that are GMO'd, it's it's just a handful. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think the people have an argument because, yeah, there's not it has there's not been a hundred years of Roundup ready corn. 
So are we seeing the result? Are we seeing the effects of it? Maybe it's a, a long-term effect we just yeah. haven't seen yet. So mm. I, I see their yeah. argument and, you know. But that's just fear of the unknown at the end of the, the day. Unknown. It's at yeah. the end of the day. There's nothing. I don't know. I'll push back against you a little bit on that yeah. because I don't know. They've been around long enough that I've been eating them my entire life and I had my gallbladder out this year, which is probably correlation that that's what caused it. <laughs> you know what? At the end that of the day, definitely, yeah. definitely <laughs> the problem. Yeah. That's what I, I would blame it. Yeah. yeah. But it goes no, <laughs> this balance of like progress versus safety, yeah. you know, with all things. Um, and if you lean too far either side, it, maybe, maybe we get in trouble. Maybe we don't. Well, I don't know. There has to be progress. I mean, it's like Stokes said, uh, there's only one, like less than 2% of people producing your food, but there's more and more people every day. Yeah. And, and, and we're losing farmland uh, every, you know, all, every day. Somebody's building something on something there that used to be a farm. Um, and so we have to be more efficient. I mean, I think efficient production has to get better. Um, for Southwest Missouri, my biggest argument for farming in, in Southwest Missouri is we are very inefficient in, in, in basically all aspects of agriculture. And, you know, me and Stokes, we get to travel quite a bit and see other states in agriculture and you see the efficiency of things. It's like standing at 40,000 cow dairy farm, milking 160 cows every six and a half, seven minutes with five people is very efficient. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Do we have anything in this area that compares to that? Uh, that same farm built a farm up uh, north central Missouri. I can't think of the town, but mm -hmm. they they put a big one in there. But as far as southwest Missouri, no, not not a ton. No, no. and and I'm not saying that that's the way agriculture needs to go. I think mm -hmm. there's definitely the small producer can get there and can find ways to be efficient. Um, there's a I, I go back to dairy quite a bit because that's primarily my background, but there's a robot dairy right across the road from my house and uh, I've, I've visited it and it's neat. I mean, that, that robot will milk, it will be a better dairy farmer than you could ever be. <laughs> um, that cow can choose to milk whenever she wants to. Mm. Um, so, I mean, if she wants to be milked four or five times a day, that's great. That's fascinating. And a dairy farmer can't, you know, I guess they could if they just wanted to live in the barn, but uh, you're, you're taking advantage of that cow being milked out four or five times a day. And it's not that she's going to produce more milk as in terms of uh, capacity. It's the efficiency of her uh, body to produce milk quicker when she has an empty udder. She can fill that udder quicker when it's empty because she has less pressure. And so on a mm -hmm. typical dairy, when you milk twice a day, that's 12 hours at the, that last eight to 12 hour period, she's getting full and her body slows that milk production. And so the advantage of milking more times is you're taking advantage of that time where she can produce it quicker. Yeah. And so that's where that robot comes in. Plus the, the information that the robot gives you, <laughs> um, pounds, it, it'll test each quarter of the milk. And if it's bad, it, notifies you and if you have it set in the computer says well if it reaches this level just dump it in the can um, where it can be dumped down the drain or used for something else where it doesn't go in the food supply i mean those are things that is a little harder to do when you're just milking them <laughs> yourself so yeah yeah so uh, <clears throat> you guys have talked about kind of the livestock aspect and some of the like crop aspect so the food aspect of agriculture but it's not just food and and you're maybe 
typical farm of producing, you know, um, crops or livestock. Like there's more in ag science and ag education than just that. I mean, there's the, all the vocational skills attached to it. Can you maybe speak to those a little bit? Yeah. So, um, there is, there's a ton that goes into, to what agriculture education is. Um, and it goes back to what the ag industry is at the end of the day, there's 20% of our jobs roughly are in the agriculture industry out there. And we normally think about the farmer, right? That's producing the food, but everything from how the farmer plants to all of their inputs to the trucking, to the processing, um, to the marketing and everything to the consumer at the end of the day um, goes into what we do as well. Um, so, and, and another thing that we try to break down is this stereotype. I think that farmers are just a bunch of dummies right. that exists right. out there as well. And um, the farmers I know are some of the most intelligent people I know. They have to maintain that equipment and keep it up. So me the mechanical side is a huge part of what we do. Um, and it's pretty incredible if you go to a farm progress show nowadays and see all the engineering and all the technology, um, you know, and then think about the computer science that goes into the robots that Jared nowadays. was just talking about. Yeah. Um, so I, I tell kids, you know, it doesn't matter what you want to do, what you want to be whenever you grow up. There's something related to it in in agriculture and you can find whatever niche you want to get into that's a part of ag education but then you know ffa is also a huge part of what we do yeah which is leadership and um you know public speaking and communication is so so integral into what we do and i feel like the ffa does as good a job of that as anyone as taking a kid who's terrified to stand up in front of a group of kids and one of the first things that every kid does in, in freshman ag science one is they recite the ag, uh, the FFA creed. Mm -hmm. And um, you see kids really terrified that have to step out of their comfort zones and, uh, and get up in front of people and speak. And it's pretty amazing to see what those kids transform into three, four years down the road in terms of leadership and communication as well. So I think that FFA probably does as good a job of that as anyone. Well, I'm I've seen crossover on that going to like speech state and speech districts, um, maybe not so much at the national level, but at least in Missouri, there are always kids who have their essentially FFA crossover speech that are at the competing at the state level in Missouri speech, um, either in oratory or informational. And they do a really great job and excel in that area as well. Well, and it's so cool too. um, working with you guys and having, you know, this experience with students that are in FFA program, because at my high school growing up, we didn't have FFA agricultural sciences wasn't uh, offered. Um, and it's so interesting to watch those kids become passionate about it. And, you know, they might not be great at writing an English paper, but they can tell you every species and subspecies of a certain plant. And it's insane. Like just their knowledge that they grow from FFA or just from being in ag science. Um, it's just really, really cool. So like. As an educator, I see the value in it, regardless of um, maybe they don't want to be a, a future farmer. Maybe they don't want to be in the ag industry. Um, but what they gain from that, just like their appreciation for food and like I've learned from them, you know, like chocolate milk doesn't come from brown cows, um, you know, like wait, things like wait. that. Go back on that. I'm sorry. What? Right. <laughs> Hopefully there's to, a video. But the, <laughs> the pink cows do make strawberry milk. Yeah. Though, yes, right? the pink cows <laughs> do still make strawberry oh, milk. Okay. Um, but just seeing that in our students um, has been really, really cool. I wonder if you could speak to 
urban schools and like what urban schools could or should do for FFA. Um, and we can say urban as Springfield if you want, but um, if you can maybe speak to like, should they have a program? Why should they have or a program? A school that doesn't have a cow field over the fence from it. Right. But even Amanda and I, our current school doesn't have an ad yeah, program. Yeah, you're, you're and, like and the only rural school in I know. Southwest Missouri wow. left. Right. I didn't it was, really we didn't have anything. And it's yeah. shocking because oh. we have the availability of some of those mm-hmm. ag kits because we do have kids that do live a rural lifestyle that yeah. would benefit from it. The closest we have is like a botany class and we have a greenhouse that's associated with that, but it's not done under a banner of agriculture education. It's part of the science curriculum. It's real, real popular with the Grateful Dead crowd. I'm sorry. That was poor taste. I'm sorry. (laughs) We get those kids that are interested in greenhouse for sure. All of a sudden they perk up and they start taking notes a lot one day. So so how can I make this work in my closet? And then I'm like, well, let's go back to our electrical lesson. You're going to need some 220 voltage in there. I I talked how to make uh, ethanol one day. Um, this has been several years ago. I was at, at, at Marshfield and uh, these kids, these two boys who really generally not interested in a lot of things, but man, they're, they really like, so how's this all work, Mr. Brown? And I'm like, well, you have to, you know, you have to have this, you have to boil this up and, you know, alcohol will boil at 170, I think one degrees water boils at a hotter temp. So you got to maintain your temp. And so basically they went home and made of them a moonshine still. Oh, nice. And uh, along, with the help of their dad, but they made it in their kitchen. So I, I, I'm sure that was awesome. Uh, they bring you some to They try? offered it and I'm like, kids. I was like, uh, <laughs> after school, I can't do that. After school, like, meet me in the parking lot. Yeah. After you graduate. Yeah, just, your dad brought some. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we laugh, but there is some real learning that, oh, yeah. that happens there. And if, I mean, yeah. obviously there's a multi-billion dollar industry built around some of those concepts that have yeah. expanded. And I mean, going to some modern breweries, even microbreweries, I mean, mm. the, the science and the tech that goes into those is fascinating. Yeah. Well, and that's yeah. authentic learning at the end of the yeah. day. I mean, yeah. you can laugh about it like right. you say yeah, all you yeah. want to, but if a kid takes interest to go problem solve and research yeah. and figure something out on their own. Well, and they, yeah. they want to know, I was like, why can't we drink ethanol? Like, why can't we buy buy it just get it out of the gas pump i'm like well they call it ethanol for a reason and i was like and 80 e85 is the strongest you can get and i was like because they put 15 percent of it gasoline in there to keep people from drinking it because your car would run on e100 but we couldn't sell it because people would just be filling up their jugs and you know <laughs> using it for Getting other purposes i never up. knew that yeah that wow yeah. Is that, yeah. that's crazy so, a kid could be doing that in the city. Absolutely. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> Just in the closet. We kind of went down a rabbit trail there. Yeah. Again, but, um, well, there's, there's jobs like food science is big. Um, and that's, those jobs are right here in Springfield. Um, Frappuccino was invented right here in Springfield. What? Over what? here on what? East, East Chestnut at the DFA Innovation Center. Hmm. And it's made in Kabul. It's a billion dollar product for Pepsi. And uh, Pepsi called up DFA or Dairy Farmers of America and says, we want, we need a product that has, that's a coffee product with uh, whey and, you know, milk product, dairy products in it. And so they, they invented it just down the, down the street here. And uh, I had no idea. And uh, when I was milking, a lot of my milk went to Kabul and it was going in those little 
glass jars that said Frappuccino. Um, so uh, yeah, and kids don't realize that those those jobs are here. I mean, Frito Lay could call up DFA and say, "Hey, we want a new cheese flavor." They just go to the caves. They go well. They go make it. I mean, that <laughs> they just then they have food critics come in and test it, and you know, or it could be a whey protein bar or whatever. And I mean, they have all the tools to do that. And we took a tour of it. I, were you on that tour when we? Toured that uh, Tyson in, Innovation Center, the and, DFA Innovation. No, no, I didn't do that one. I did Tyson in uh, Bentonville. Th- this is this was over here, and like I said, I toured it by accident. On a, I don't know. I I called my DFA guy because I drove by and I saw the sign. It says DFA Innovation Center. So I called my contact and I was like, uh, "What is that? What do they do?" And I was like, "So he told me he's like, can we take a tour?" So we took a tour of ag teachers there, and and they were basically begging us to get kids. Oh, wow. interested in food science because they <laughs> said we cannot find people that want to do this and he said at, at the time this was 10 years ago it's like we're starting at $80,000 a year I'm like you're going to pay somebody $80,000 to come up with a new chip flavor <laughs> I'll taste uh, your cheese over. I gotta go work on my recipe I was like how do I, how do, I do that let's you know? go so Wow. Yeah, those well, jobs are right here. I've had a kids 40 don't year know internship happening. on. I have some things to say about right. it. Yeah. Toothpaste and orange juice is the next big yeah. flavor that's coming out. TFA, <laughs> 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 for those people who may not know, Dairy Farmers of America, right? Yep. Yep. That's a, the, one of the largest, I think it is the largest dairy cooperative in the United States. And so they, they have their hand in lots of production in terms of manufacturing, but the the farmers are technically the owners of it, and so if you're a dairy farmer and you sell through DFA, you're a member of the cooperative, and and so they like Highland Dairy, they have they own part of that. They, you know, I think they own a half ownership in that. But hmm. um, there's lots of jobs here, just just in Springfield. DFA started right here in Springfield. Oh, really? Um, it used to be Mid American Dairy Farmers, and so then they just kind of grew and. And now I think they're headquartered in Kansas City right now. But I mean, I guess that makes sense. Isn't like Polk County the biggest producer of beef cattle or something like like the cattle industry is huge in this part of the country? Yeah. Absolutely, Anyways, absolutely. Right. There's probably more baby calves born within a hundred mile radius of Springfield, Missouri, than anywhere else on the planet. Oh huh. man! So for those so. urban schools that maybe yeah. don't have ag science, just to kind of bring it full circle with the mm-hmm. video. Um, <laughs> It would be really advantageous to get those kids into ag science programs so that they can find their passions and make $80,000 making a new Cheeto. Yeah. I, those opportunities are out there. I mean, and to go on the technical side, like a welding and stuff like that. I mean, if a kid takes finds their passion and wanting to be a welder, I mean, they can go make tons of money. You know, if they're willing to travel and kind of go out there and do it, I mean... There's tons of money out there. There's also good jobs right here in Springfield. As, as Springfield's kind of known as the stainless steel capital of the world in terms of what's manufactured here. And those are awesome, awesome jobs, good paying jobs with good benefits. And right here. And, you know, that's a skill that we both teach in, in our ag classes. And you'd be surprised, too, at how many urban schools do have ag programs in them. There, it's not a, an unheard of thing. Springfield only has one at Hillcrest now. They just got it back. Um, and Nixa just got an ag program. So they're another one that just added, they had it for a while and then it went away and now it's back. But, um, St. Louis has ag programs. Kansas city has ag programs. So uh, urban York, agriculture is, Chicago. is, is not somewhere where ag education just doesn't exist. 
Um, and, and yeah, the opportunities that are in cities. I mean, St. Louis has more PhDs in plant science than anywhere mm-hmm. else on planet Earth. Um, a lot of the, the government agencies in the USDA now move to Kansas City. So there's, and, and there's a lot of animal science in Kansas City. Um, plant, uh, animal health is kind of known for well, Kansas City. As far as sustainability, like we have to bring agriculture into the cities. Like I, I was listening to, it was either a dollop or a TED talk, I forget, but they were talking about how the efficient, you were talking about efficiency of production earlier as well, um, where they have like warehouse, small warehouse mm-hmm. sized, uh, like greenhouses where they have within two stories, like 10 different layers of plant, mm-hmm. like growing, uh, producing food and how like bringing that into the city would also reduce the cost because you don't have to ship it from. That's, that's the thing that's kind of, yeah. The, the trade-off that you see and you're you're mm-hmm. I, i'm always amazed when i see these efficient farms like i went on a big tour of utah a year ago mm-hmm. and um yeah, everything had to be ir- irrigated out there because there was no water and i'm like how are these guys producing hay and competing with us in missouri where yeah got all this moisture um, but yeah yeah and those growing facilities they're like they're specifically targeting the wavelength of light that yeah. That plant needs mm-hmm. the most. So if this plant grows best on this certain wavelength of blue light, mm-hmm. that's what that plant gets. So from yeah. an efficiency standpoint, that's a mm-hmm. huge thing as well. And it's all automated. So you have the 12 hour light cycle or whatever the plant needs. Um, you know, you can predict your yield and have like no six months out or whatever, how much food you are going to be producing. And I don't know, like yeah. I said, just yeah. on the topic of sustainability yeah. in our cities as they grow. That's one of the fascinating things about agriculture to me and the ag education is, you know, I, I think so many people think of this like low tech farm, mm-hmm. the classic version. Dirt and uh, water. Right, right. Which, which exists and there's nothing wrong with that. But, but it also is very, very high tech or it can be. And the use of computers and robotics and all these other things. I mean, the fact that drones are used more and more um, has always fascinated me. And like, yeah, I, it just... I think there's, regardless of what skill set you have or you want to develop, you can definitely find a home within the greater agricultural um, economy. Mm-hmm. And there will always be a demand for it. Like, we're always going right. to need to eat. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not going away anytime soon. Do you see um, a lot of ag teachers? Like, in your field, are you getting more teachers that want to teach ag science? Or is that a dying breed? I think the the male ag teacher... Is a dying breed. Hmm. We notice. I notice it. I, it's a big difference. Sixteen years ago, when I would step in and uh, versus you know into our summer meeting where all the Missouri Act teachers meet, um, you see all the new teachers walk across the stage, and you're like, "There's a lot of females that are teaching ag." And uh, my wife's an ag teacher, and I think she's one of the best in our state. Um, she does a great job. She teaches shop. She does. You know, she's she just does a great job with her kids and. And so, uh, but I do think the just males teaching ag, I think we're, we're seeing a less in that. And I think part of it is society is the private sector is outpacing, mm-hmm. outpacing uh, the public sector in terms of just pay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the demand, you know, the demand for people to work those high tech jobs is pulling a lot of folks away from the profession. I, I, and I don't think it's just ag teaching. I think that's all teaching. Yeah, I think it's just I think we're just two, three years away from really seeing the effects of not having people that want to teach. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think um, there's definitely been a, 
a morphing in, I think the FFA side of things has become way more appealing to a lot of the young teachers that are getting in today. I, we get frustrated in our, I don't know, we're, I guess, old timers now in our profession <laughs> a little yeah. bit, but I had to, I had to we see stuff on Pinterest where now. it's like, well, you can teach welding with a can of easy cheese and crackers. And it's like, <laughs> or you could just go out to the shop and weld, or you could teach wiring with some Twizzlers. And it's like, or you could go get a Roll a Romex and actually wire up a, a wall with some kids and they're doing what they would actually be doing. Yeah. Um, so that, that kind of stuff's kind of frustrating to us in, I don't know, trying to Pinterest what we do. And it's like, just, just <laughs> teach the content and, yeah. and teach it with what you're actually going to be doing. Um, but I, I think there's less people getting in. There's more non-traditional people. I'll see people get into it that never took an ag class in high school now, huh. which is, I think. I think it, I don't know. It seems like a monumental hill to try to climb, mm-hmm. to try to try to go through the higher education system, which at the end of the day, uh, that's a whole other thing that we could get into. But how, I mean, how much did your college education experience prepare you for day one of teaching? <laughs> right. Right. Um, that first year was easy. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That was so prepared. I just bought everything well, off yeah. Teachers Pay Teachers and a can of cheese Whiz and I was ready to go. Yeah. That's all you need. <laughs> I mean, we running the shop is a whole other thing that we have to try to do. And we, you know, for all the classes that you take in college, I had one shop class and it was so rudimentary and base level that I mean, it just I I was so unprepared on that side of things for for getting in and and especially on the project side. I mean, kids building projects, there's a lot of financial responsibility that needs to go into that in terms of you got to buy the material, but you also got to figure in, you know, if you buy a 24 foot stick of metal and that project uses 18 feet of it, you still bought 24 foot of it. And so mm-hmm. it's easy for, for a teacher to kind of get in financial trouble with their shop accounts because you're not figuring in the waste and, and you, you don't want to charge, you don't want to try to make it like a profit center because at the end of the day, it's for education. Those kids need to you know, it, they're learning, whether it's building a trailer or building a deer stand, which I don't know, that's probably one of my most hated projects <laughs> is deer stands because I don't know, I I, I fear I, I'm like, kid's going to build something in my shop, go hang it in a tree. And then all of a sudden I'm going to be, well, so-and-so Bible. fell out the deer stand and now I'm, I'm like, so I feel bad on that part. But What about bell know, rings? Bell rings? Bell, yeah. They're a need. They're they're a necessity for farmers. Uh, I hate them. <laughs> okay. That's that's what Funk said too. So. Yeah, they're uh, you know everybody wants one, but that the kids uh, you know after they built one, and then you ask them to build ten more because <laughs> you got people wanting them, they get really unexcited about going out there and doing things, and and so that's the challenge of being in the shop is you got to keep something new in front of them and mm-hmm. keep it challenging. Um, and you got to keep kids busy. Uh, yeah. I think some some have a work good work ethic and some of them would stand around and hold a Dr. Pepper can for the entire hour. And you're like, <laughs> like well, Management. I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the, yeah. <laughs> I was out there in the shop. I'm like, you did nothing. Oh. And you, you mentioned managing finances, but there's your ag teacher fun fact for the day is that the amount of accounting that yeah. is in this line of education is... Yeah, that's another thing that I was completely unprepared for is how much money you handle and how much of your job is in ate up with with handling money. I've had close to $70,000 come across my table or my desk 
at school that I've had in my office. And I'm like, first off, I mean, I try to get it to the next step. So I'm not responsible for all that. But mm-hmm. there'll be days where kids bring in $10,000 for your fundraiser. And it's like, all right, that's just sitting in the office until I can get it to the, you know, the next person that's responsible for it. But yeah, just the sheer amount of money that, that we have to deal with when it comes to fundraising and then, you know, if you have a hog show, something like that, I mean, our hog show was $18,000 that I have to take care of. And, and and before you can teach class, if a kid brings you in money, you have to write receipts for it. Yes. And then you have to, I hate to say it, but you have to check up on the accountants because you do yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, way I mean, more it, than you should ever have they, to. They look at, well, it's, everything's FFA, right? No, uh, that's was shop money or that was uh, budget money. and. So yeah, a lot of times our FFA is like, well, we we just took that out of FFA. And I'm like, nope, nope, that wasn't that, that, <laughs> yeah. that wasn't the right account. That's student money. So, so th- there's a lot that goes into ag education, and it's going to look different depending on the school or the classroom that you're in. Um, I have to say thank you to both of you for coming on, and hopefully you guys can come back and we can ask more questions because I think there's a lot to to dig into here. Um, and not everybody's familiar with it. And even those who are, I think there's a lot of um, really interesting aspects um, that kind of tie all the other educational endeavors in a school together within ag education. I try to teach, I try to make things good in our classes. I, I taught some of the neatest things this year. And one of them was building a, a junk, good junk pile, good quality junk pile. Uh, the second one was how to siphon gasoline. <laughs> Third one was I had a kid come in, you know, they always come to me and say, Mr. Brown, my lock keys in the car. How, how do we get in there? Uh, I can do that. So I <laughs> teach them how to break into a car. Wow. So I think those are three quality things that a kid life needs skill. to know. Yeah. Life yeah. skills. Right? Uh-huh. Life skills. Yeah. So that, that's what, at the end of the day, I hope I, I, I'm teaching them good things that they can turn into a career, whether they do or not. I mean, whether it's how to wire an outlet or weld or, how to cook barbecue because I've sure done a hell of a lot of that. So <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't have any, uh, well, I, I have, yeah, equally as exciting probably stories about teaching kids how to be miscreants. But um, <laughs> I think in ag education, um, we're constantly reinforcing what everybody's doing in their other classes and hopefully giving them some practicality and some real world application, whether it's English and math. Um, one of my biggest revelations, you guys did an episode about the most surprising thing to you in education. And I think the most surprising thing to me um, getting in my first year was how low the bar is for a lot of kids on their basic English and their basic math skills for as, yeah. most as, those get, as much as those get emphasized. I've got sophomores that cannot tell me the area of a square. And I do that on the test the every sides. year. Yeah. And, and, no, no, that's not right. Don't, they they don't. do that. They I do that, that a lot. I know. But, um, yeah. so, so trying to reinforce those and, and critical thinking and problem solving, um, trying to reemphasize those things and, uh, and build those skills. I hope that's a big part of what we do at the end of the day. Um, and, and like I say, hopefully they can take something out of what we're doing in our classes and go back and use that in their core classes as well. Thanks for listening to Where the Whiteboards Are. When fun-sized candy bars aren't enough, <laughs> where the whiteboards are. <laughs> if you have any questions or comments for us, you can re- reach us at WTWA 
at 277media.com. The opinions expressed in our podcast are that of the individuals and do not represent the opinions of their employees, school districts, or communities in which they work.